I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Three. In a bar. Have you got lots of words this morning? Are you going to introduce me? No. Why? Well, I will do it at some point, but I don't usually start. Do you want me to make this very formal? I can do if you no, want. No, but I want. I remember. Well, you know, I have a bit of a victim mentality, but mm. with um, Millie, you bigged her up quite a lot. You, I think you called her extraordinaire and stuff, and um, you've not done anything for me. I think you need to go back and re-listen. What I like to do is ease into a chat. Okay. I don't. But if you want, no. I no, no. Let's what. ease in. No, let's ease in. No, no, no. You've said it now. No, it, so. No one. No one wants a fly in the wall glimpse of our bickering. Oh, but it was just an inevitability, wasn't it? Really. Yeah. Um. I no. Come on. I'll give you a formal introduction. That's fine. So I'm sat here in my garden with violinist, journalist. Um. I'm going to say. Pedagogue? Would you like that one? No, chuck I, that I one don't in? really teach, do I? You, oh. One pupil. Hmm. Um, entrepreneur? Okay, entrepreneur. Um, what else can I put in there? I'm going to say viola player. Yeah. Um, Super Depp. <laughs> <laughs> um, renowned family man. Hmm. <laughs> what else do you want in there? Um He's got a great eye for style. Wise sage. Yeah, okay. Anything else you want to throw in? No, that'll do. Um, anyway, all those things, it's Robert Simmons. Hello. <laughs> Was that too formal? No, it's good. Okay. So, yeah, so we're, it's a nice sunny day mm. and we're in um, our garden on a new um, hipster craft beer style table. Mm. And bench set. That's very and nice, it's, uh, isn't it? It's very enjoyable. Yeah. It's such a lovely day. Mid-June. Sun's out. Yeah. It's very nice, isn't it? Next to a fig tree. Yeah. God, it's a lovely set. Actually, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that you were in the middle of East London, would you? No, you not currently. There's no sirens. No. There's no um, loud music. Um, none of the cliches. Shouting. Yeah. No. I can't see anyone in braces, and I, oh, I can see a tattoo. <laughs> so okay, maybe that's a concession to East London. Um, Rob, thanks for for joining me today. Has it been a pleasure? Would you say this whole experience? Yeah, I've enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, should we talk about what we've been up to the last couple of weeks? <laughs> that's what you and Seb sometimes do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what I've been up to. I've done a nice week in Birmingham Please with Birmingham Royal Ballet. <laughs> Playing a triple bill, which includes Apollo by Stravinsky. And it's actually quite interesting because um, I can't remember the name of the choreographer who was, um, or whatever they're called, like director of that particular ballet. Who, But anyway, she came to speak to the orchestra and um, she used to dance with Balanchine. Um, oh, wow. And, but get this, right? So um, Phil introduced her. Well, I forgot her name. Um, she used to dance with Balanchine, an American dancer. And um, she looked like she was about, 
mid 40s but she's clearly like 80 or something yeah and um she was um anyway she she said to us what a pleasure it was to um hear us and that sort of thing how much she'd enjoyed our playing but um she said that when she danced it um Stravinsky conducted her wow and um she said um yes yeah, so she said she remembered being on stage and thinking what a real honor that was to be conducted to be cued by Stravinsky in that yeah. ballet and um but she, then she said um but he did it too slow <laughs> yeah they hate it don't they they hate uh well I, I bet that was a bit of push and pull there yeah but you know she realized that was what a historic thing that was That's it's pretty cool. cool you know that um there's still people around who kind of have that i wish you legacy. could remember her name yeah well we could <laughs> you could do one of these little voice note things and put that in couldn't you <laughs> yeah i'll let you do that yeah do I'll, I'll, okay i'll look it up Oh, hello. Just dropping in, as promised, to talk about the dancer I forgot the name of, who is Patricia Neary. She was born in Miami in 1942, and um, she began her dancing career at the National Ballet of Canada. She was um, asked to join New York City Ballet in 1960, and she worked with um, Balanchine and other choreographers, including Robbins, Tudor and Cunningham, and was famously conducted by Stravinsky. Bye. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and... um and can I just say, I just want, I'm, you know, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but, you know, since we spoke to you last time, you put on that incredible um, Esther conference down in in Cardiff, and it really was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant, yeah. I mean, I didn't do it solely, no, um, you know, on my own. I mean, pretty much, but... Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a great event. And um, actually, that neatly segues to our guest today that you set us up with. Yeah, well, we met him in... I introduced you to him in a lift, didn't I? In Cardiff Hilton. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember, um, yeah. Yeah, he was... He's Yes, this, today's guest... Are we allowed to say who it is? Yeah, you can okay. do that. He's Benedictini, who is a fantastic violinist and um, educator. And, well, I guess he's an academic as well, isn't he? Because yeah. he's um, embarking on a PhD. Um, and, um, um, yeah, he's very passionate about the electric violin mm. and the world of the electric violin and the origins of the electric violin which is what he was presenting on sort of that a, a history that's not really that well known um i have you seen wayne's world yeah years ago yeah i feel like it was a, it's like a bit of a wayne's world moment seeing that that do you remember where he's going past the guitar shops and it's like ah, you will be mine that kind of thing that because there's one or two anyway yeah look, I shouldn't yeah. I shouldn't give it all away no, but it is an amazing story that he tells isn't it yeah um, so let's not tell it because he can tell okay, it very let's not well tell himself it, yeah. yeah but he's um really lovely guy nice to chat to sort of you know at the conference when when he was um in the, in the bar or in the cafe or whatever mm. um very passionate he also runs the music health services oh, yes. called, um which is worth looking up and um does great work with um dementia patients and things with um, music in mm. care homes and stuff. Yeah, he talks a bit about that. To be honest, it, we, we could have done a whole other podcast talking about that, I think. Yeah. Um, it's really fascinating and it's brilliant. We'll put links to that in the show. Yeah, there was a lot we could, didn't have time to talk about and because he's playing with Tom Hingley from the Inspiral Carpets, which was quite um, impressive for me personally because I was quite that. into all that yeah. um, this summer. I think he's also from Abingdon. Right. Tom Hingley. Um so yeah, very interesting guy. Went to the Royal Northern. He's a little bit older than me, so but we um you know lots of the tutors we talked about were still there. His mm. head of strings, Ronnie Slatford, was the same as mine, mm -hmm. and he talks quite um openly about how 
his passion for uh, electric, or like um, performance, electric violin, wasn't exactly nurtured there. No, exactly. Mm. Um, well, look, let's go to Ben now, shall we? And hope you enjoy it. Do we catch up at the end? Is that how it works? That's how it works. Okay, great. Yeah. Benedict Heaney. <laughs> We're back on. It looks like it's coming. Oh, welcome to the wonderful world of Zencaster. You haven't used this before. No, I haven't. Zencaster. I, I, I like the I like the environment. <laughs> what's, what's that? I'm I'm a I'm a I should explain. So I'm just um I'm a stand-in for Seb, who's doing a play, who's very okay. very his normal um podcast companion. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are a special guest. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. You've I'm made special it down, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so glad you could do it. Thank you so much. And thanks for finally, this is great that we can finally come together. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Should we remind the, le- the uh, listener of the, uh, the name of, of your presentation, the oh, name yes. of your... Yeah, that might help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really would. <laughs> it's, it's a study of green glass bottles from the Victorian... <laughs> oh, Rob, quick, we need to stop this right now. Niche. <laughs> okay, so no, it's the history of the Bode electric string. And Fantastic. it's just exploring the story of what I believe is the evolution of the violin and that's where it becomes I'm out on a limb because that's a huge statement to say (laughs) the violin has evolved it's certainly there is a certainly a thing called an electric violin family uh, and that that 30 years ago from what I really know now is that at the time in the 80s and 90s, a lot of violinists would say, why do I need an electric violin? Why would I want one? Whereas the question has now changed from talking to makers and and companies that are distributing them and manufacturing them. They say the question is now not why do I need an electric violin, but which electric violin do I need? Yeah, 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 sure. And, And that, I think, is why I found myself on stage, because people now want to know, well, is there a history? Is it a new thing? Is it a fad? Is it a craze? And and really, it's not. And that's the really exciting thing that actually there's there are recordings turning up that are nearly a hundred years old of solid-bodied, stick-like, minimal electric, pure electric instruments recording direct to disc that has long. You know, been not heard you know it's just yeah been, and that's why the phds you know that's what i want to look at is this stuff is there so how come we don't know is it just because the profession were so adverse are so anti or suspicious or just mm. you know it just didn't even register for decades yeah, so because you were saying when you were at college, for example, so this is where you sort of started um, dabbling, I guess, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. electric instrument. Yeah. But were you finding that you were getting support from teachers or there were tutors at the Northern who could help you? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a conversation about this, I remember, yeah, in a break. Yeah, no, <laughs> and and, and, and it's, I think it's quite fair. I mean, I was very recently in contact with uh, the then head of strings and was asking him whether Rodney Slapford, I asked him whether he remembered that whole period of the frustration I had because they, 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 and I just said, why wasn't I, I never understood. Why couldn't I do it? You said at the time, 
that it was too new, there was nobody to teach me, and it would require a complete overhaul of the college system. And then he said, not just the Royal Northern, but all music college systems. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go. and I sort of took that on the chin as a sort of like, okay, you know, that that is asking quite a lot, really, you know. And uh, but I then went back to him and just said, but the history is there. It wasn't new, and and it the 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 the, the sort of bottom line was, well, they had a program of study that just couldn't encompass that. And uh, I suppose my, you know, the, 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 the thing that I had to and have had to live with is that I know that when I went to the, co- the college in my interview and they said, what's your career aspiration? It was electric violin. It was contemporary violin. I never changed the game. I never mm. changed the, 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 my story. Uh, and I got interested in electric about five or six years before I, you know, my A levels, um, and and what had the met... catalyst been for that? Had it been listening to things with electric yeah, violin on? Yeah, it was glorious. Um, uh, and it just so I'd seen Stefan Grappelli play at yeah. London Stables, and my dad, uh, as a GP, was um, he he, I think he was um, John Dankworth's. Uh, so John Dankworth had a son. Uh, and I think dad was his doctor. And so he got these tickets saying, oh, your kid likes the violin. I was about 11 or so, 12 at the time. And um, so this is 1981, just so you can put a figure on my age. <laughs> <laughs> um, no so, time ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, no time ago at all. Uh, uh, and I saw him play and he sat down in during one of the drum breaks. He sat down next to me. And said, I hear you're a violinist or something. And all I could see was his blue electric violin. And my eyes, you know, my jaw was on the floor. And I just was like, oh, what's that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just remember him being very dismissive of it. And just go, oh, I just have to use it. But, you know, it's just, I, I hate the wires and stuff like that. And um, then I saw a busker in um, Northampton. When I was about 13, a guy called Pete Hartley, who's still still big on the scene um, around Birmingham area. Um, and he had this skeletal framed thing and he had, he was just not looking like a violinist and he had backing tracks and and it was wild. And I yeah. just remember thinking, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and then the really, the, the, the big turning point was then a coincidence. Very shortly after that, we, I played, trumpet in the training band in the Northampton Music Service and um, they did a trip to the Deal Music School the um, is it the Marine um, Army you know like forces yeah. uh, the, the forces music school and um, we joined their band for a rehearsal and they were playing an arrangement of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's variations and instead of cello it was for electric violin and there was this guy who had this homemade electric violin. Um, and I was just like, I, I got an opportunity to play it. And um, and I, and it was plugged into this enormous, I just remember thinking it was this the most enormous amp, um, this huge box. Um, and this thing, he handed it to me. And it was so heavy. And I was just like, oh, right, okay. And it went on my shoulder and I bowed this note and it scared the life out of me. Just the... <laughs> The, the immediacy of the sound, the, the, 
exposure of the sound, absolutely every nuance, the the bow, just the hair, the, the and I just remember thinking, okay, this is difficult. Yes, and that, and that sort of gnawed away in my head. It was like I didn't like it for that scariness, and I was suddenly like um, exposed like that. Um, but it it just kept gnawing away as you know I wanted to find my own electric violin and uh, I say the glorious stories that then again very recently in the last couple of years I I, I've got a photo of the moment of of me playing that note and I look up at the camera and my eyes are just wide (laughs) and in my brain I'm saying (laughs) (laughs) and that photo (laughs) So it captures that moment where I thought, this is what I want to do. But, oh, my God, it's really difficult. You know, it's, um, at, but in the background of the photo, uh, it's online, um, uh, that you can see the shoulder of the guy whose violin it was. And you, you, I thought, can you make his number out? You know, it's like, is there any way of identifying that person? And, of course, the photo didn't reveal that. But I then wrote to Deal, and they had, like, an alumni service. and. I ended up re-meeting that guy. Like no 30 way. Years, yeah, no, nearly 40 years on. Oh. Yeah. Uh, no, and we, he, li- he lives in uh, uh, John Pring, um, and he lives uh, down in, um, oh, it's near, um, oh, mine's gone blank. <laughs> uh, it'll come to me, but it's not important where he lives, and maybe yeah. I shouldn't say where he lives. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he, address. <laughs> yeah, he, um, we met in a pub, uh, and we just laughed, you know, and, and then there was this deeply moving moment where he thought, you know, he said to think that he can remember that occasion, but the way his life then went off and we never crossed paths, hmm. no reason to, and my life went off, but very much influenced by him handing me that violin, that electric oh. violin. And he was able to show me the photo of the actual violin and it, he, his uncle had made it and he still has it. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was just a glorious thing. Fantastic. So I kept getting, is, it, it, is that a shadow pickup? So oh, this Rob's is, I just, um, I got this <laughs> down from the loft. Uh, and I, this is a... Um... Ah, Solek. Okay, that's almost identical to the one I had. That's okay. like last <laughs> yeah. So I think I got this uh, when I was about 12 or 13. I just recently, in pre- pre- I mean... <laughs> You piqued my interest, I suppose. I um, cool. I got some photos from my parents of me playing a, a sort of old violin of my dad's that was kind of had this attached to it and quite rustically glued on. But um, uh, yeah, I was all um, um into the Levelers and New Model Army oh, and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, um, cool. So yeah, I just found that. Um, and uh, he's been trying to stick it onto his violin. I've had to really talk him down. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of super glue on my, my violin. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, uh, but um, no. So the, the um, just before I went to college, um, I I because I, I was really into <laughs> I was really into sort of alternative um, music, uh, quite extreme stuff. Like a German group I used to sort of noise and uh industrial and goth really love the cure and Bauhaus yeah. and Bauhaus came from my hometown and I ended up somehow 
friends with what turned out to be the stepson of the bass player from Bauhaus. And these were like my dream, you know, this was like, like the most inspirational music of the time for me. There was this core group of, uh, 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 of types of music that would just was on my playlist all the time. Um, and Bauhaus was one of them. And yeah. I got invited by this, this lad. And he said, oh, my dad's doing some recording and he wants to send you a demo. And I didn't know who he was. I, I, you know, I'm sure I didn't know who he was. And I turned up at his house with my leather jacket with the Bauhaus logo on the back, wearing the Bauhaus T-shirt, with my hair backcombed and like the guitarist from Bauhaus, or Danny Ash. And um, <laughs> this guy, David J, opens the door. And I'm like, oh, you are joking. You know, sort of what... And he was, oh, I've heard all about this jacket. And and then I ended up doing a recording session <laughs> with one of my, you know, like heroes. And I took the electric vi- my electric violin and he hated it. You know, <laughs> no, I think we'll use the acoustic, thanks. <laughs> so I sort of went, went to music college with this sort of idea of people hate the electric violin. You know, it's like, and, and, and it was only upheld at the Northern that it, it was just, there was... It would be wrong to say there was zero opportunity, but again, it was always homemade opportunity. We had to, we we had a band in the third year. That third year, wow, um, <laughs> it was, um, and it um, w- we wanted to do a gig in the student union, and we wanted to borrow the um, theatre's smoke machine and lasers. You know, oh, we wanted yeah. to borrow all the equipment. And we weren't allowed to, well, we knew that if we'd said, oh, we're, we're sort of like a crossover punk rock, like prog rock band, hmm. there's no way they would have let us. So we, we said with the, with the RNCM um, uh, electric quintet or something. You know, oh, I love it. Yeah. We captured it in all the right language and we got all this equipment and then filled the student union. You'll remember the student union. Mm, the JCR. The JCR, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we absolutely, the rule was, um, yeah, and I had I had an actual proper electric violin by then. Um, and the rule was with the smoke machine, you only need to press the button for about two seconds and then just leave it because it's designed to fill a massive theatre, <laughs> you know. And the guy who was operating the um, uh, smoke machine just held his finger down on that button. Before. <laughs> and the, the smoke was opaque in the room. Amazing. <laughs> and, and the lasers was just making this opaque cloud change colors you couldn't see the lasers it was just this <laughs> nebulous thick fog of flashing colors and extremely loud hardcore prog rock punk you know? brilliant um yeah yeah it was just an insane and we were never allowed to do it again oh, no. <laughs> you are listening to three in a bar we talk to musicians about their lives if you like this show you can Five stars on iTunes or a cast or other things like that. Yeah. The first public performance that I gave was one of the Acanthos concerts. So I think it was one of the first. They had a, this new on contemporary music ensemble called Acanthos. Um, and I did a public performance uh, that was just an improvisation with a backing. Uh, this <laughs> It's called Four Second Sight and it's a backing track of just noise you know it's just multiple it's like john cage lots of l- snippets of sounds and four tracked 
cassettes yeah. uh, and just sort of all rammed together. And the idea was to create this sort of moment of panic, sort of like 10 minutes of just barrage of, of noise. And that, that what I wanted to explore was um, the sense of how we react in confusion. And the improvised line was this sort of my reaction to the, the, the audience receiving this chaos. And um, I likened it to stepping out in, in the road uh, in front of a car and suddenly realising what's going to happen. And, you, and time seems to go slowly. You know, that sensation that everything goes slow-mo, but it's not slow-mo at all. And uh, in my youth, I, I liked the idea of recreating that <laughs> carnage <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i like that and so i did this sort of performance and an argument broke out in the concert hall um because people didn't believe i was playing the violin because there was just so much noise going on um and then at the end of it um the the then principal sir john manuel like manuel manuel yeah, man, uh, yeah. manuel manuel, man, manuel yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um he came down to talk to the audience and he looked at me and he goes, well done, Ben. And then he looks at me <laughs> and he goes, shame about all those bloody electronics. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. So the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the well done for? That's what you asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so, um, so I think it was just the fact that I had the nerve to stand there and do that. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, but... I'm interested. Um, you say you you spoke to Rodney Slatford relatively recently. Yeah, yeah. So, um, did he? Oh, well, I wrote, um... email. Oh, oh, right. Okay. So, with the benefit of hindsight, did he admit that perhaps he should have done more? Uh, no, I don't know because he didn't. He didn't then reply when I sort of put it to him that it it had a profoundly difficult effect. You know that sort of mm. sense that. It had reached a point where uh, I was stood in the office, uh, having done one of those end of term exam, you know, like mm. study exam, and I had to play Kreutzer, and um, and I was just saying, look, I'm not very good at this, but give me an electric violin, and I will be enthusiastic. And and he just, it was a, the line was drawn, and he just said, right, you either prove you can play Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart, or you get out now. And it was mm. a decision I had to make on the spot. And I, I found that deeply disturbing mm. and had really had to deal with that for quite a while. That there was the, Because I, I left the college scraping through. You know, I'd gone in with wide eyes and, and just like this amazing tradition and this whole thing that I absolutely loved. And I left the college just wanting to have anything to do with anything else other than classical mm. music and that was uh, easily 20 years uh, uh, of you know departure from something I still love you know I had yeah. to re rediscover and um, you know I, I understand it now as that was the college system and I was just pushing against it and pushing against it and he drew a line but of said, course you know um <laughs> you know you should like artists and composers you should be pushing against these things that's the ironic part of this story isn't it you know like yeah, um through time people have been pushing against um the I, norm i love that i love that and, and and if you if you see if we imagine the the view i took then and still take is if sort of 
middle of the road, easy listening, normal, for want of a much better word, music is in, in the centre of a sphere. The further out towards the edge you go, the more avant-garde and extreme those forms get. And then when you get to the edge, it's like, yeah, but there's going to be another, you know, it's like, there's got to be something yeah. beyond. Yeah. And I like the idea of looking for the peripheral vision from the peripheral vision. So he's looking beyond the beyond. Always and, beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, uh, and I think there are, uh, you know, that's taken me to discover some extraordinary, um, I think, extraordinary musicians. Yeah. Uh, who have been uh, uh, from many different times. In, in, and, you know, and I would say someone like Paganini is mm. one of those people. Uh, uh, his music is, is so extraordinary. Uh, we nobody knows what he sounded like you know we can read the newspapers but that's all we've got we can look at the scores but you know there's still always the question you know it's 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 not unknown for you know even someone like Mozart to discover that actually there's somebody's inserted a composition that's not Mozart or is that Mozart and then a question Mm. or that suddenly discovered something that is by somebody you know so we don't actually have any evidence of what Paganini did other than the effect he engendered. Is that the right word? It, 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 it made, you know, made people feel. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know what? I'd like to um, go backwards to pre-electric violins. I had a nice look at your... um, uh timeline on your website deltaviolin.com is it um yeah and um we were we both had a look at this uh strow violin Uh yeah Yeah, i just i'd say that rob Rob has drawn i've drawn one yeah well i mean i think that's what he's drawn it's uh let's have a look can you see it violin with a horn hang on i was gonna hold it yeah pull it up a bit it's uh, really quite something. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect yeah. that. Yeah, so you can you can you can take a... that for your website. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Actually, you're, you're an artist yourself, aren't you? You, you oh, do some I, artwork. I, I like. I do like to do art. Yeah. Yeah. Are you trying to align yourself? No, 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 no. You uh, forget that. You forget that. Artist. Yes. So tell us about the. Is it the Stroh violin? Yeah. So uh, and that it's a really interesting pivotal point, which I, for a long time, sort of believed, along with people that the Stroh violin was thought to have been as a direct result of the new acoustic recording industry. And so people like Thomas Edison, uh, and if you've not read Thomas Edison's diary, it's a slim book. It's absolutely brilliant. The section on 
the section on recording violinists is hilarious. He hated violinists. He just thought <laughs> they were the most misguided people on the planet. This notion that they could play in tune and he could prove with a ruler measuring frequency ranges that they weren't playing in tune. He just thought this was nonsense. But um, he, uh, yeah, the first thing that recording engineers discovered, well, first thing, you know, an early discovery was that the violin was rubbish at being recorded because it's designed to disseminate sound in all directions but what you would need with an old recording microphone the horn the big sort of hmv yeah gramophone the the gramophone horn yeah so that's broadcasting the sound on a gramophone but the reverse to record it that's simply all it is like the headphones that we're wearing if you plug them into a microphone socket and talk into the headphone, it will work as a microphone mm-hmm. because it's just the same process in reverse. So they discovered that the violin was particularly rubbish and it was, uh, they called it things like a ghostly murmur. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and you've got people like the likes of, you know, Isai uh, and Kubelik, uh, uh, you know, the, the great late romantic, you know, these are the, if, you know, if Paganini had been around, you know, that these were the superheroes of the violin and they went into the studios and they just didn't work these instruments so um the story was that Stroh Augustus Stroh he was a, he was the royal engineer he was a really serious significant engineer uh, of great standing and no doubt about it and the other one was Charles Parsons who I think invented like a steamboat or something you know he's like this <laughs> incredible engineer inventor and they they would they the story goes they they were charged with the responsibility of sort of finding a solution for the violin uh and again the story goes that Stroh coming from the view of an engineer just looked at the problem and thought right you know we've got four strings <laughs> you bow them they need to be this long they need to be you need to be able to tune them um but from that point onwards my job you know, it was like, <laughs> uh, and he he came up with the idea that if you imagine that the belly of the, the violin, viola, cello, uh, bass, if you imagine the the body is a diaphragm or like a drum skin, yeah. Uh, and if you think of something like a banjo, like uh, uh, and and some of the, you know world bowed stringed instruments, they are the bridge presses on a skin, a taut skin. Yeah, and then there's a hollow body underneath it, and and essentially all that's happening is the bridge is vibrating that skin, and so Stroh looked at the the actual mechanism that was recording music, and just attached it to the underside of the bridge. Yeah, and, and kept the horn. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love and, that. And he just. It was like, so we don't need a body. So all we need is like a frame. And he just had this tubular pole <laughs> that looks like a bit of a, yeah, it looks Love like it. a bike, you know, it's like yeah. a bit from a bike. And he attached a chin rest and a, and a, and a tailpiece at one end. Yeah. Had the bridge where it should be. And then this metal this diaphragm circular thing with a great big, trumpet horn <laughs> shooting from it but then the rest of the violin it was just a fingerboard and then he had a little bit where the the the, the, the shoulder bout would be because he realized that violinists needed that mm. they need the reference but it has got a traditional scroll and pegs yeah um 
and it does. It looks like Frankenstein or something. It's like well, a... What's what's the weight like? Have you have you had to go? Yeah, on one? yeah. yeah. Did, there's a guy in Oxford um, who has one in his shop that just for for looks, mm. um, and it it's a bit it it it's weird. I mean, it's definitely mm. weird. Mm. Um, to your left, over your shoulder, uh, is where the trumpet horn is. It's obviously not on the right hand side because it'd be in the way of the bow. Mm. Um, so it's sort of it, it's low down, and then it it sort of <laughs> oh, <flip laughs> looks like some sort of blunderbuss shotgun, sort yeah. of thing, you know. Uh, and, and it once you, yeah, it, it's all aluminium. It's all you know. It's very light. Oh, okay, right. yeah. So it doesn't um, necessarily feel too different to holding a. It, no, it feels really different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, the violinists, by all accounts, hated playing them, but they had to. Hmm. You know, they simply had to. Um, yeah. And they were sort of, in the orchestras, they were beefed up with traditional instruments. But, they're, you know, you keep find more and more photos of, uh, there's a famous one of Elgar in the studio and with an orchestra and all the front row of violins are strow violins. And they're oh, very I had true. absolutely no idea that that was no, the I... case. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You start looking, looking, yeah. look at, uh, oh, so many recordings that, you know, like, um, someone like Jan Kubelik, apparently re- there are recordings that he made playing a stro, but mm. they're not listed as a stro. No. Right, okay. It's just listed as violin. It'd be a brilliant project to go and recreate that, wouldn't it, in the studio now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a whole, a whole orchestra's yeah, worth. It'd be like, oh, it'd be like wow, the equivalent yeah. of the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly. So, yeah. It'd be a great, oh, be great. It'd be a great prom, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would yeah. be a great prom. Let's do it. Come yeah. on, Rob. This is your yeah. next project. Yeah. Cool, cool. We'll do well, a quartet we've got a few on them. contacts of people that you know make them. And, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the first hurdle, there isn't it? Go. Getting yeah. them made. Well, they, yeah. they even had stro cellos and stro- so. If you imagine a cello, what the heck was that like? Then? Well, the, the the trumpet horn looked like one of those you know those Swiss Alp Alpine yeah. horns. Yeah, and mm. it's literally the cellist sits there with yeah. the, the, the neck, and then there's this massive horn yeah, between massive their legs. Horn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then, sorry, um, sorry. Yeah, and then um, there, there was a stro double bass as well. Oh, that? that must have been incredibly <laughs> unwieldy. Yeah, it, it's just incredible. It's so, amazing. but the, what was I think? Not it's not funny, but it is sort of funny. Um, but just so stro patented this thing 1899 and then by sort of 19567 there are more and more variations of horn violins so obviously makers are jumping on this bandwagon of oh you know recording industry is massive now uh, we need these violinists need them and uh, explore my page on the horn violins mm. yeah. um, because there are pictures that you just wouldn't believe but these were real instruments you know, most of them were used um I didn't have a clue about this whole no, world. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it is. it's incredible. So, so the funny thing is, I think, oh, it's not funny, um, <laughs> is that it, after a few years, these companies set up and Stro established the Stroviol company, the Fonofiddle, and the, these were, you know, big, big things. Um, but within two decades... The electric microphone was invented and became the standard in the recording studio. And it was just like, oh, we don't need strobes anymore. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was like suddenly all these instruments were completely 
completely abandoned. Yeah. Oh, it's like what were they? What called? happened to him? Those, I wonder. Those blue, what do you call it? Blu-ray? No, was it Blu-ray? Which is yeah. the thing? Oh, is that? Are you saying it's like the mini disc of its time? Yeah. I just remember yeah. on Tomorrow's World where they were saying, you know, it's like this is the next big thing. Yeah. It's very it similar. <laughs> no, yeah. really not. Yeah, really not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say to you, we've been talking about these quite primitive approach to the electric violin, and yeah. you were talking about the first one that you tried, but at the mm. very other end of the scale. We must ask you about your Fender. Yeah, violin. that's exactly what I was hoping you were going to oh, ask. Yeah. Yeah. Do you um, have it there? <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, well, I've got eight. I mean, if you if you can wait, literally thirty seconds, I'll go. Yeah. And get it. Um, I think you should get one of those Stroh violins. Yeah. Well, do you know I what? I really wish. think you think about uh, public service broadcasting where they did yeah. that BBC thing. Yes. Imagine doing like a a prom with a load of a full orchestra of Stroh instruments yeah it'd be amazing it'd be great wouldn't it it'd be yeah. great laugh as well it'd be hilarious and um i think we could get some funding for that listen make it a project let's start it. we could do we could do some no. elgar get a proper conductor in mm. do like things of the time elgar one or something yeah music of the time yeah oh look there's a dog oh. the dog's there it's a nice dog that okay bit like balls she wants in on the oh here we go oh, she's got in her she, oh, what's the dog got what's she got yeah, in her so mouth me, what's the dog got friend. She's been, been hunting. <laughs> no, Fender's a dog, didn't I say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. God, he's a clever, clever dog, though, isn't he? Making all that stuff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is she. Whoops. Okay. Oh, look, so there's yeah. the case. We're having a look at the case now, and I'd say it looks more like a woodwind case. I'd say, yeah. if I was guessing, I'd say bassoon. Yeah. You? Okay, well, so this, the, I mean, the story starts here, really. Mm -hmm. so, so you can see it's a, a nice sort of old... Yeah, lovely case. case. A bit battered, mm. but the yeah. thing that you'd see Stratocasters and stuff in cases looking like this from the fifties. Yeah, but, but this case has got a bump down the middle. Right. Yeah, I can, can see, see it. Yeah, mm -hmm. can see that there is a raised because this is not a Stratocaster case. This is a violin case uh -huh. from Fender. Yeah. So the case in itself is quite interesting, but then you open it. Oh, here we go. We're Here's a the thing of beauty, isn't Wowzers. it? Wowzers. Look at it. Oh, it's, it's incredible, a, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, music. there's a it, look the at the uh, head. It, so the head of it looks it looks like a Fender guitar at the top. It yeah. looks and it's got the same um Day typical cam. writing like, and, and everything. It, it's yeah. little machine heads, little yeah. geared tuners. Yeah, yes. this is all I mean. It's absolutely. We should stunning. describe it, should we? This is unusual. This it's, is not yeah, what you're. No. This is not what you're expecting, listener. No, no, no. So, Have a look um, at the picture. Right. Yeah. So the the body, the, the, you can see the finish on it is. It's oh, it's immaculate. beautiful. It, mm. it really is. It just looks like nothing I've ever seen before in no. the electric violin. World. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Leo Fender loved the violin. You know, he loved. He wanted to make a violin as much as he wanted to make a guitar. It was part of the family. It was a guitar, a bass a mandolin and a violin yeah um and the thought is that he the shape of the, the traditional iconic stratocaster headstock was first seen on a violin that's oh, incredible wow. that's cool but you know where's the evidence you know it's, yeah. Well, yeah. where's the evidence and the yeah. invoices that exist in the fender archives apparently there are no other saw templates known so the first question was well maybe the first template was like the the, the the telecaster as yeah. it, and then another one came along well according to the, the 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 real knowledgeable richard smith who's one of the big names in studying the archive 
he's he's not seen another invoice as far as he's aware there was only one saw template so we can think maybe that's yeah so he was developing this for a few years and so then we go down the net and the other so we then see the next amazing difference is the neck runs doesn't reach it doesn't have the traditional neck stop yeah yes at the back that's built into the body Uh aha The neck runs a completely smooth line, yeah, and is sort of angled by a very precise cut into the wood mm. onto the body. So yeah. the neck comes in at an angle, um, and this would mean to make a neck because again, Fender was all into replacement parts and easy to make. It all had to be easy to make. That neck is going to be easier to make than tooling. Yes, a neck stop. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. I'm no luthier, but yeah, that's yeah. It I looks think. very much like two parts. One yeah, thing that it's you in can two, remove. It, it, absolutely. Back on. Yeah, and it's yeah. bolted on with two screws yeah. there. But you know, I, I can't more. imagine. Like, oh, I just can't imagine the excitement of being able to get one of them um, to buy one of them on the high street. You know, as a yeah. at any age, really. But you know what I mean? Like, there's a whole host of kids that have decided they can't be bothered with the violin anymore that would yeah. <laughs> they would love yeah. that i tell you i mean it's I'm, amazing I'm sure of it and i i i have written to the uh fender company i've offered the instrument for detailed drawings because they don't have any record mm. their archive by their own admission is bad uh so they we need to make these. Yeah, I, I fundamentally believe that in 1957, when this was trialled in Nashville, the reason why it then got put in a cupboard uh, by 1959 was because every single violinist they presented it to snubbed it, mm. and it was no, there was no sense of a business success. You know, they were going to make 200 of these. Now this. <laughs> The story gets very interesting from Go here. On. I'm an absolute <laughs> spot. <laughs> so, so I warn you, um, what you're about to hear. No, um, so what then happened was the they, they took the violin for photo shoots with a chap called Wade Ray in 1958. They've got the catalogue. It appeared in the, the, the sales list of instruments on one month literally one week one month in i think it was june or july um and the catalogues were printed the 1958-59 catalog the run of instruments it's there uh, on the central page i think um with a little an amazing sort of uh advert for it in words um and then it was pulled it just the the thought is all the parts needed to make this were made but they were never assembled mm. so there are there were there's seemingly a set of 200 parts for of tailpieces yeah bridge plates control pots jack sockets um possibly the, the they're, they're pretty standard um whether the bodies and the necks were also made they i think they probably would have been done to order but um yeah. so what happened to the parts? Well, I can tell you. Go on, <laughs> tell us. Right, so in, in this case over here. Oh, you've got them all. <laughs> oh, God. Nearly broke it there. Oh, oh Jesus, imagine that. Be terrible, terrible. Look after that a bit, It'd have been a bit of a... Uh... I'm 
have been right down a bit of coup for the podcast though wouldn't it well it would but also a bit sad wouldn't it (laughs) right so we're now on to a different violin case this is a much more standard looking one yeah yeah i've used this so i've got it in a this i this is my workhorse so yeah look at this one oh look at this so this is a 1971 Okay. Fender Electric Violin. So they re, well, not relaunched it. They actually got round to producing um, an electric violin and Fender catalogue in 1969. Mm. Um, and they changed quite a few things, like they put traditional pegs, pegs on it. Mm. Yeah. Which are rubbish. Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. upsetting to see that. Yeah, yeah um, they're, they're bad. They, they just don't turn well i mean this this violin looks very very similar but but from sort of from the neck upwards it's it's all gone wrong and now look now remember the neck line yes they've put in a traditional neck stop and do you think this is all because of violinists snubbing the last model i I, I can certainly prove that Mm. certain changes the bridge and this useless tailpiece button yeah Mm. on the the, the the nice one it's mm-hmm. got a, stra- a, a metal strap pin okay, right so i've got paperwork from 1969 that says swap out these parts for bought in bridges and bought in tail buttons yeah okay for to uh, to improve the look Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that you would, anyone would look at these two instruments and think that this later one was more aesthetically pleasing or whatever. I've, I've reverse engineered the bridge. So I have the bridge made Mm. because this, when I bought it, came with a traditional bridge. Yeah. The hilarious thing is, and as I said, going back to the spot thing, what happened to the parts? I'm about to reveal what happened to the parts. Oh my God. Traditional bridges don't fit. So every single model that they made of this 1971 or 19, they had to clip the feet off the bridges uh-huh. before they'd fit. And it's even an instruction in the production procedure: clip bridges. Ludicrous. Think, well, what? <laughs> why? Yeah, yeah. Why not build a bridge that fits the stupid? Thing They've done that... everything. So else. at this every point, step. at this point, um, am I right in thinking that? Leo Fender was no longer with the company. Yes, yeah, so this was the interesting, uh, and I wouldn't sort of be confident to say he had no hand in that. Mm. But uh, I think it was nineteen sixty-nine. Uh, was it sixty-five? He sold up his interest in the company, and CBS moved in. There's some really distressing reports um, that they got this company in to look at the running proceed you know look at every aspect of the company and and work out where it needed improvements and stuff and leo fender is actually highlighted as a bit, a bit of a maverick by this company they're saying you know just give him an office and just let him tinker you know he's and there there is this sort of thought that he was he just had to sit out this period of contractual silence mm. um while still being part of fender he wasn't um and interestingly, that that instrument appeared right at the end of that contractual period. Mm. So were they waiting for him to go? Or was that his final sort of, come on, I just want the violin to go out? Mm. Yeah. And as I said, what happened to those parts? I nearly forgot. Is oh, it? yeah. I nearly mm. forgot. If you look really close at the tailpiece, there's, yeah. some, there's some writing 
It's a metal tailpiece and it's got yeah. a Fender logo. And underneath it, in tiny writing, it says Pat Pending. And it's also a patent pending stamp. Yeah. And also on the, the bridge plate underneath the bridge, it says Fender Patent Pending. The patent was granted in 1961. So there was no need oh. to say the patent was pending in 1969 unless those parts had been made in 1958 before the patent had been granted. Oh, they're just using the bits. So they're using all the bits that yeah. were in the cupboards. Oh. And yeah. uh, I've got a list of seri- uh, sales orders of, I think, about 98 instruments. So we know just under 100 mm. were shipped somewhere. Uh, with dates and serial numbers. And I've also seen over the years on eBay and you know, on records, and you know, I've had contact with players, um, I've got about 15 others that aren't on that sales list. Right. So possibly uh, there, there might be, you know, some of them would have been thrown away, some of them got damaged. You know. So how many are there out there? Yeah. Mm. And of the original model, how many, mm. how many made it out? Of the 50s one. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, there's one of those. <gasps> that one that we've that's why, seen. That's why he's got a dog to guard yeah. the house. Yeah. yeah. There's one of those Whoa. in the two-tone finish. Yeah. There's, I've seen one with the same makeable neck. It went through Christie's and we went on eBay. Uh, and I know who's got it. Uh, oh, do you? With the standard sunburst finish. So in 1958, they swapped... The end of 58, I think it was, at some point, they moved from a two-tone finish to a three-tone. Yeah. It was like across the board. It was like overnight they went to three-tone. So that there's the two-tone finish, there's the, three, the sunburst finish, and then the one that was in the catalogue came with an ebony fingerboard to appeal oh. to violinists. Yeah. Yeah. And, I've seen, and I've seen a photo of that one. So yeah. that's three. Yeah. Mm. There, I've seen a photo and pretty much confident of two prototypes so that's five yeah and then i saw a photo the photo of wade ray who was a country uh he was like a rock and roll country fiddler he he, really extraordinary wade ray um real entertainer las vegas uh big name um there's a the photo shoot he did in the summer of 58 shows him with what I thought was my two-tone finish. Yeah. But the photo's so crystal clear, you can zoom into the grain of the wood, and it's mm. not mine. So, oh, there's, okay. so there's possibly more. Um, yeah. The thought from the big collectors is that there's probably no more than like, a dozen. Uh, wow. That's amazing. Or, or, or not. My, uh, a wild theory, I suppose, is that you know a lot of people say, oh, he... he he only went where the money was. Mm. So the guitar, so that's what he pursued. Um, but we do know he wanted to make a violin because in his very first patent from like 1943, he says that this pickup technology could be applied to violins. Yeah. And we do know that he, he really wanted, the only violinist, the only musician he ever really mentioned as liking was Bob Wills, who was the big Texan swing country fiddler right and the thought is he was trying to make a violin that bob wills would play if bob wills had played a fender electric violins would be a completely different story you know, mm. it's that massive um, yeah and there were a few others um so i wonder 
whether he poured his heart. I mean, the thought is Leo Fender actually made that violin that I've just shown you, which is just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't him directly, it was certainly George Fullerton. Uh, there was this very core group of people at the time. Now, the, I believe that why would you go to so much trouble to produce such an exquisitely finished instrument with the you know the, the varnish finish, the the, the woodcut, the the you know just the whole finish is extraordinary, beautiful. You wouldn't do that unless you were you were engaging yourself in a big way. It was a big part mm. of, it was a big statement. Yeah. And I do wonder whether th- there's a quote in uh, a book about Fender that says um, he was, it, it alludes to the fact that he was quite upset. And I wonder whether he was more upset than he ever spoke about. Yeah. Yeah. The sort and of rejection were, of it and, yeah, and yeah. his it being his life's work in some respects. It was respects, a vision, that, it was yeah, a vision yeah. of these this quartet of instruments that never, he never heard it played. Oh, it, yeah. That is that sad. Is sad that it? is sad. Yeah, it was never recorded formally that we know yeah. of. And, and, and then if anybody listening, if you, if you include this bit, uh, yeah. if anybody's <laughs> listening and thinking, well, I've got a 1957 album, you know, mm. tell yeah. it. Yeah, 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 come I've forth. I've searched the world. I've also done a really experimental album, uh, which got got some really good local, you know, review and uh, piqued interest on BBC introducing it. Um, so an album called Dark Descended. So it's like the opposite of Lark Ascending, the Dark Descended. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I took the Fender to a studio, and I only used that instrument, um, and I started and I layered. I think it was four improvised takes, one on top of each other. But each time we played it back, we processed the signal massively. So we either did huge amounts of pitch shifting, then we did huge amounts of amplification to explore the gritty noises in the signal and sub bass and supersonic trebles and stuff and filters. And and then I'd improvise to that sound and then did the same again. And then I took all those recordings home and completely remixed them to produce an album that is solely the sound of the Fender Amazing, um, but in a much more you know contemporary uh, you know it's it's my statement to say that this violin is valid today it's nearly 80 years old but it's it's not nearly 80 years old, is it? It's um, 60, <laughs> no, 65. It's oh, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> pretty old. <laughs> I wasn't yeah, there. It's pretty old, it's pretty old. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, ben, I'm very aware that we've kept you a really long time already. It's just been I, so th- fascinating. Th- but yeah. I well, did I've... just want to ask you if you wouldn't mind, yeah. because the other huge strand to your work is with the music health service yeah. and yeah. i feel like yeah. it would be remiss no. for us to not oh. chat about that quickly if that's well, okay no 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 i would love to I'd, and i would have been quite happy to have spent all this time talking about that as well and then yeah. throw in the fender at the end but um no it 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 does link as well yeah um, so uh the link simply is that years ago i did an album with uh, a young singer who I was teaching at school and we recorded somewhere over the rainbow that, and what you heard Rob at the, the, the backing track I used was from that recording session in 2005. We released it. Uh, it was raising money for Down syndrome awareness. Um, and it was, pr- it entered the classical charts at number two. Uh, and we were like a five person team. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, a 10-year-old singer, me as the music arranger uh, and a producer and the girl's mum as the sort of manager. Uh, and we were just suddenly faced with this prospect that we were going to, people were saying, but you're, if you go to number one, you will beat Charlotte Church's record. And it was suddenly like, <laughs> how has this happened? Yeah. But we were... But then we were axed from the charts. We, we, what? We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four days after we appeared in the official UK classical charts, we were no longer there at all. They replaced oh. us on the grounds that it wasn't classical enough. Oh, oh for goodness oh. It's like the old so, literate violin thing repeating itself again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the reason why that connects to the music service is I just was, I've used that backing track almost weekly for the last eight, nine years in care homes, in community support services. And I know that what we recorded was worthy of a number one position. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really good recording that has got legs, you know, it's got a slow burn or whatever you call it. And I love playing along to it and the residents love it. And uh, a few years ago, I was uh, working at, at uh, learning about dementia and arts in dementia care. Um, and it just struck me that what I was doing going to a care home with my violin with a guitar with a keyboard and getting to know the residents and not just playing at them but performing to my absolute best and as if I was on stage anywhere else um not in a living room with very sick people deeply tragic circumstances Mm. for a lot of them um and and seeing the wonder that is the power of music in action. Um, and there are stories I can tell that, are, you know, hairs on the back of the neck and all that, mm. um, that, you know, people waking up a bit like the film, uh, Rain, uh, Rain Man, uh, and the, uh, the this notion that whilst we're playing, something happens. Yeah. And it energises people and it connects them with the here and now and they can communicate in ways that they simply do not show any ability to communicate at any other time yeah and Mm. people cry people you know just joyful people are deeply moved and and it it has an impact on me but yeah the thing i believe is that by to take the cliche of a entertainer doing you know one of the great entertainer you know original entertainers doing a cover act with all the costumes and they they've got their cd player or whatever backing tracks and they press play and they do it and they stand there and they do that thing and then they go and they put the bill in and go to the next one and do that and they've got their company and they've got their website and they've got and it's yeah and they're really good at what they do but i from talking to the care coordinators they don't not apart from the really good ones, I suppose, but yeah. they're not making the same impact. No. Mm. Whereas I think if you go in with this belief that what you're about to do can do something that pills cannot do, mm. and doctors do not know why, but music is the last to go. Mm. It's one of the first things to appear. It's one of the last things to go. Yeah. Uh, and the brainstem, or what, where is it? it? It makes the brain fire up and light up across the, all the neuro, you know, the, the connections. Um, people's eyes open. They engage with you. They smile. They talk to you. And you stop playing 
and they almost retreat. It's like a charge that they get. Yeah. But I believe that only happens when you play the music with the same sincerity that you would if you were an international star on the Albert Hall stage. You know, oh yeah, I, I, 100%. I honestly think yeah. that you ha- you can't go in and think, oh, well, these are just old people that are demented and they they just need some entertainment. Hmm. It it goes beyond that. So it got me thinking. Well, what it, it is to do with health and it's music, and I'm doing a service, and it was like, oh, music health service. Oh, it's a bit like the National Health Service, yeah. you know, <laughs> MHS Music Health Service. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so I thought, I wonder if anybody's got musichealthservice.com. No, they haven't. So ha. All yours. Well done. So. Yeah, I just sort of, uh, I, I was invited to uh, a, a an, inquir- an inquiry into the ageing process, an ageing population and the impact of music and arts. And that was uh, a talk held, at, uh, uh, an inquiry held at the House of Lords in 2019. Uh, and I went representing the Creative Dementia Arts Network um, as their spokesperson. And I just got this notion that's what we're doing and they and we got to ask questions and they they said so uh you over there who are you and what 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 do you do and i said ben heaney music health service.com like this and the number of people who grabbed their devices and <laughs> typing it in just it's like, what is this music health service so um yeah but that's what i do that's how i that's my day job that that's an incredible thing. And I, yeah. I saw, I was watching um, some clips of the work you did during COVID times. Oh, and it yeah. truly was, uh, you know, an from a, from this incredible study. Yeah. Well, it was an incredible yeah. thing and it really kept people connected. And obviously, like you were saying, that uh, that thing of bringing music to people at times of, of need. I mean, it mm. couldn't be more highlighted that at that point. Yeah. And so it was an incredible thing. It. I think yeah. I, we had to. Um, uh, uh, and it what's mind blowing uh, is one of particularly one of the care homes that are my best clients. Um, they book me every week. Uh, today I was there this morning, yeah. and um, you, they have a cinema room. And basically, when I'm not there, they stream <laughs> the YouTube films I've done. Yeah. And they so I came out of the lift. I went to the second floor today to to play to some of the more vulnerable um you know advanced dementia patient uh, residents um and i the lift door opened and i'm faced with me on a cinema screen <laughs> <laughs> playing the piano in my study and it's like this is getting really surreal you know, just, just, <laughs> so is this is this all around oxford way Oxfordshire? I'll, I'll wherever yeah all right it's, um so uh the it, it's you know god if I was a better business person, you know, if I was a better... You wouldn't be a musician. Yeah, maybe, yeah. So I'd be employing musicians to do it. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. But no, it's... Uh, it, I For every want to have a website that sings and dances and points people and takes orders and stuff, and I'm sure it's easily done with the right know-how, I, you know, I, I rely on word of mouth. And uh, so uh, COVID completely decimated the work um and it's actually a lot of people wouldn't realize it's only very recently that we've been allowed in without masks of course yeah and the communication uh, although we went in in person over a year ago um communicating especially in song with a mask on is horrible it's Mm -hmm. a really horrible alien environment and for those people there i can't imagine 
I yeah, for people with dementia, yeah, that I must just be imagine. horrific. It yeah, must, I, we can't imagine what nightmares have been going on in care homes. Mm. I really feel very passionately about that. That yeah, that yeah, we go on about the PPE and we go on about the you know the fact that people are released into care homes and that and this happened. Actually, let's think about the environment because there are care workers who had to deal with it. Mm just simply had to deal with it and these people must have just not yeah i can't imagine oh, it's horrific absolutely mm. terrible circumstances and i think it's worth stopping for a while and thinking about it you know and thinking, yeah. what can i do to make, yeah. try and make things better i don't know and that's what i do I just well i think what and... you're doing is absolutely doing that and oh, it's you, yeah. it's a wonderful thing and i remember my my granny was in a care home at, with dementia and i know that song and singing and singing mm. old songs um that she could remember because the long-term memory, you know, stays long yeah. in some respects. Um, I think that that was a complete uh, balm for her to have mm. that. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. They, they use it for, uh, they use, if you can find the music that uh, resonates with an individual, you can use it very usefully, you know, for everyday needs, you know, like washing and food and toileting. It's just that certain songs can become patterns um, yeah. Yeah. because they're, they're more receptive. They're more, um they're there um but i i don't just you know i just like to say that the, the music health service is uh, I, in all my teaching i my violin students um I, I particularly like working with adults particularly those who gave up yeah because and this is such a classic thing where you say oh you used to play the violin uh, oh yeah i really love the violin why did you give up i didn't get on with my teacher yeah mm. <laughs> right so you really loved something but because of the person that was teaching you gave up that seems daft, you know, yeah. and and it's tragic. So I love, mm. I, I see my work with you. I use the violin uh, as a tool to, you know, my violin lessons are in music health service as well. It's all to do with connecting with music uh, and it being the, the force that we know it is. If you're a musician, you know, you know what it does. And yeah. It's just trying to, you know, it's like, I sort of look at the world sometimes and think, look, we've tried everything else, haven't we? You know, we really have. You know, we've tried that, this, and we've tried that. And that. But I sort of feel like give the musicians a go. Yes. In a much bigger way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, let's just give just give it over. And, and, you know and see see let us I think, go yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i reckon you've brought, you've got some very lucky students there if you're you teaching have. them with with your outlook on it all it sounds uh, brilliant thanks ben oh that was great wasn't it yeah. i enjoyed chatting to him and his lovely dog Aww. I mean, I didn't chat to his dog, but we <laughs> saw shame. the dog yeah. yeah um although it could be a nice little um Rosie the dog moment, couldn't it, for your pod? What, do you, put, do you want me to add in at yeah, times? Yeah, you do, do, do the voice for his dog. <laughs> I don't think that'll go down well. I feel like there's a, another podcaster who may do that a little better than oh, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's lovely. Uh, he's such a great guy. Really yeah. nice. And, like, so... What's lovely is that he's so passionate about it. I just felt like we could have talked for hours and hours and hours because he'd have had loads of different angles to talk about. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And he sent so much information, which I'm going to try and put as much as possible into the show notes if you want to read further and have a listen. He's also made a playlist. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I know. It's and really he's cool. got a great, I think he's got a YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Um, he's definitely got a, a sort of lecture he delivers mm. um, on YouTube, hasn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we managed to keep our side of it. I think, you know, we weren't too... Uh, what's the word? There wasn't a lot of conflict, was there? I think we did okay. Oh, what you mean you us, and I, as you a present as a presenting team? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we were brilliant. Yeah, uh, it's nice. It was nice to be able to talk to you civilly. <laughs> I feel like we were more Richard and Judy than jeez oh, <laughs> than Phil, Phil and Holly. Yeah, well, I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, would that would that be? <laughs> do you know who I think we were? I who? think who was that? Girl who presented the word who used to have really cool eyebrows that had oh, little cuts. Danny Bear. Yeah, I think you're yeah. Danny Bear and I'm um, Mark Lamar. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Great. I mean, that's. The word. I mean, that was cool, wasn't it? It was flipping cool. I don't know that I was cool. I watched it a bit, but I don't think I was generally cool enough watching. Oh, I used to watch then. it, of course. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> There's all those things from that era that I feel like I missed out on. Mm. Did you watch Euro Trash? Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, Rapido. Was that the music oh, programme that yes. was around that time? Yeah. I was watching Transworld Sports around that time, first thing in the morning. And, uh, and then just Well, that, the really other stuff, that was stuff. the evening, wasn't it? Yeah, at um, the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Transworld Sport, I used to watch Transworld Sport as well. And um, when I was little, I used to watch um, Rubber Dub Tub. Is that the one? No, and I also don't... Will Quack Quack. I was going to say Will Quack Quack, Quack, Quack the Welsh oh, Duck. so gorgeous. <laughs> But yeah, rubber dub tub. I think that was wasn't that the name of the actual. It's pop, wasn't it? Wasn't that the rain, name of the actual um, group of programmes? Yeah, and I, was, I feel like it was. Yeah, and there was some sort of witch as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, sort of weird pink windmill thing. Oh God, now you're getting confused. That's um, grot bags. Yeah. 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 Um, no, in, I'd say pop because interestingly, I think you look a little bit like him. Okay. <laughs> Would you say that's fair? Okay, should we, <laughs> should we stop there then? <laughs> Bye. No, you can't go. You're stuck here. Apart from anything, you are st- stuck here because we're in okay. our own. Should we talk garden. about Seb? Why? Well, we need to have a little homage to Seb in each episode, don't we? When he's not here. Um. Well, that, you know, we should I should have done that. Haven't I'm really surprised done that. that you don't miss him because I think he does a lot of really good work. Like when he met up with me to talk about editing and stuff, there was um. I do. It was miss amazing him. the Why? amount of work he does and how he, how great he makes it sound. Oh, this is like terrible. I'm fine. I think I can really see, you know, having taken on those duties, like what a labour of love it is. So you, I think you just give him a bit of slack. Oh my god, why are you doing it? Why are you trying to create this <laughs> unnecessary tension? <laughs> this is not fair. Of course, of course, I miss Seb. Yeah. In fact, today more so than ever. Rob. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> what else is on this week for you, Rarity? I'm going to Sheffield. Oh, nice. Mm. Is that a sort of standing at the sky's edge? Um, yeah, it's like tr- a tribute act pilgrimage. Thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going with my friend Sarah and I'm going to perform the whole thing. One person performance. Oh, that's nice that you're doing it. that. Is that yeah. just a little holiday? You know it is. Is yeah. everyone, everyone at home all right about that? Yeah, they are. I think it's fair. I think it's payback. I've done a few weeks mm. where you've been away now. Where you've been, well, I hope you, know. you, you have a really good time. Yeah, thanks. I'm sure I will. And um, what's happening for you this week? Um, well, I'm at, it's going to be a bit of a tough week because I'm generally looking after the boys on my own. Um, be a lot of washing, ironing, cooking. Ironing. Um, I don't think I've homework. ever ever seen you take an iron out. Do you even know where it lives? Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, just a little bit of domestic bliss for me this week, and then um, I believe it's Father's Day on Sunday, so oh, yeah. um, I'm looking forward to being spoilt. <laughs> Um, so I'm just clinging on till Sunday, really. Mm. Good. I oh, I've got to learn a couple of yeah, a couple of shows as well this week. Oh yeah, do, 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 do come I tell in you? With us. Do I tell you I dep a bit? 
I don't think you did actually. Yeah, ballet's finished for the season, so that's nice. Mm. Yeah, but you're are you looking forward to coming in to Crazy View? Yeah, yeah, a bit nervous, but looking forward to it. Don't yeah. need to be it's nervous. nice to be asked. It's but it's, well, it's a bit nerve-wracking just because you're in the show. So if I was really shit and it would be embarrassing all around for them to have to tell you <laughs> that I was NA'd or something. <laughs> yeah, but you won't be, will you? You'll be excellent. Um, I, I promise not to sit behind you and tut. <laughs> mm. I'll be, a, I'm going to be really kind. I'm mm. going to show a different side to myself. Yeah. I think actually I do look after you generally on these No, things. you do, you do. Yeah. Are you looking forward to the show starting? Can't Parity? wait. Cannot wait. You, so you were on nice. the one show last week, weren't you? Well, I mean, I was there. I think, actually, there's one moment where you can see a really elaborate arm movement that I do in the background. I'm quite pleased with it. it it's oh, very, great. How's yeah. your arm looking? Oh, great. It's oh, just good. the lower part of it, so it's okay. It's it's the acceptable part. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it was great. We had loads of fun. If you haven't seen that, why not go and look? Mo Farah's on as well. <laughs> yeah. No, it did sound... It looked really great. I felt like the choreography was um, definitely... Um, they played it safe because it was outside and it was mm. quite windy. You could see it was quite windy. So I, it was. I think um, it was a nice hint, but yeah, definitely there's more to come. So oh, you should get yeah. a ticket. And yeah, do it. I love that bit when they do that sort of slidey. I haven't wh- seen What are those things anyway? Is it like... They're like uh, trays, aren't they? Yeah, it's really mm. cool, that bit. Um, yeah, d- yeah, definitely. Get a ticket. It's going to be great. Yeah. I think I'm going to w- go and watch it one day as well. Mm. It'd be nice. Yeah. Um, anyway... Should we let people go? Yeah, let's let them go. Mm. If they haven't already. <laughs> if they haven't been able to turn it off. Mm. Um, okay, well, thanks for listening. And I think we'll be back again next week. We're, well, we won't. I will. Um, Rob, thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, I think you've been excellent, actually. Well, thank you. Mm. Well, <laughs> I'd like to do one with Seb sometime. So can you have a sabbatical? Okay. I know that's what everyone's calling out for. <laughs> Okay. Great. Well, should we go? I think we should. I'm feeling thoroughly low now. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.